Outside of a god, a book is a man's best friend, or something like that. You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. And I'm Del. Did you forget your name? I nearly said yours, I don't know why. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and none of us are producer Al. No. This is distressing. No producer Al to rein us in. Hence no production values. <laughs> typically how these things work. So, um, coming up on the show, I will be doing The Bitter Twins, and you will not believe how many times we've taken this take, and I've not said The Bitter Twins, and said, said The Twitter Bins, which is not the book by Jen Williams. Um, and also, we'll be taking a look at Alien, Augmented Reality Survival, Rea- uh, survival Reality, Survival Manual, which is a big book with um, things. But before all of that, we're going to do a jingle. We're going to do a jingle or listen to a jingle? We'll listen to a jingle. That's better, I think. Nobody wants us to do a jingle. Or we can try. No. Okay, Let, let's listen to a jingle. This, this is Fabrizio International. That was lovely. What a lovely jingle. Much better when the pros do it. <laughs> if you want your jingle on the show, uh, we can... Um, we, we haven't had any appropriate jingles, but thanks, listeners. Uh, you can... Oh, no. You, you can send them to us at Radio Bookworm or at ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. And uh, if you want a jingle on the show and we can do a jingle shop swap, then we're happy to do that sort of thing. You should also be listening to the Starburst podcast when it appears. Uh, our Starburst has a family of podcasts, including a Doctor Who one, and a TV one. Uh, I'm going to go, hi Paul, and then Paul, who doesn't listen to the show, isn't going to say hi back because, you know, there we go. So, <laughs> this is the person who has to listen to all the jingles that get sent in, apparently. <laughs> we, we haven't heard all these jingles that get sent in. Paul Mount's um, TV Zone is great fun, you should listen to it. It's very much a, a kind of older perspective on it's kind of a more mature perspective on genre TV. So someone who grew up with being excited by early Doctor Who and Blake Seven and that sort of thing, mm. but was old enough to have like a kind of critical view. And then there's now, now we've got kind of renaissance in, in TV stuff. So TV zones, that sort of thing. Someone whose take on the new Lost in Space is going to be really good. Yes. Yeah. There's a new Lost in Space. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. The last one worked really well. Um, oh. No, no, okay. There was the movie in the middle. I'm talking I'm about the original. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah, there's one coming out this year. The, oh. it's, it's on Netflix this year. Like a TV series? Yes. Yeah. Oh. But I kind of feel like no one will be as good as Matt LeBlanc. I, I'm going to work out how the little boy ends up being uh, an assistant to the Minbari ambassador. I, I think that episode of Lost in Space got missed. I, I never understood how that happened. It, they did make an, a point of killing him off in Deep Space Nine, just because they so that Star Trek could win. <laughs> did they really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's got unexpectedly dark. Uh, so yes, if you have no idea what we're talking about, because this is a book show and we're talking about retro TV. Yay! Uh, tune in the TV zone where you can find them talking about books. Probably actually altered carbon is a thing. Anyway. Yeah, we don't normally talk this much about a jingle. <laughs> we don't. Um, so, I was going to dive straight into... Uh, the, the Twitter bit, bins! The Twitter bins. <laughs> uh, the Twitter bins. Don't worry. Ed won't... That Ed. is 100% my fault as well, because the first time I saw the Bitter Twins on Twitter, I completely misread it and thought that Jen Williams had written a book called The Twitter Bins, and I couldn't keep the information to myself. <laughs> Which, in fairness, there ought to be booked with that title. Yeah. So, the Bitter Twins are of the title, the first book in... the first book of this series which is the winning flame series is called the ninth rain and the the ninth rain refers to okay so this world um it's a bit one of those it's one of those battered fantasy worlds okay as in you know stuff has happened to it previous previous series that haven't been written have happened to it yes it got broke it got broke it got broke a few times Uh, and what's pretty much happened in this world um, is so what they have is the, there's 
best way to describe them is alien invaders. Okay. Alien invaders turn up and break things. Um, and they're called the Jurelia, and they are what they do is they have these big flying machines that turn up and they vomit stuff onto the land and try and terraform, try and change the land into something more suitable for them. We have talked about the Ninth Rain in a very, very previous show, like a while ago. It I'm was sure a while ago. talked about this. As in a bookworm. I don't think it was quite bookworm, but it was. It was one of the very early series of Brave New Words. I think we hadn't been Brave New Words for long. But yes, so it's it's that setting. Okay. And what you've essentially got is you've got these things, these monsters turn up every once in a while, cause absolute havoc, um, maggots vomit varnish, varnish. It's called varnish, and it just swamps the land in green solid epoxy gook. People drown in it, and nothing can grow. And they, they, these horrible things turn up, but luckily, luckily, a bunch of a bunch of pale-skinned, beautiful, long-living creatures called the Abarans, and the Abarans would, would would rise up uh, on the back of their war beasts. Beasts. And they would they would the, their war beasts would be dragons and dragons and griffins and the cats with wings that spit acid and this kind of coolness. And they would fly along and they would beat up the Jurelia and the Jurelia would be beaten up and off they would go. But during the 8th reign, because it's a reign of monsters essentially, mm-hmm. during the 8th reign what happened was um, the queen of these monsters was trapped beneath this magical tree called Yggdrasil. Now the magical tree is also where the Aborans got their sap that made them live long and it's also the thing that produced these big seeds that, that the war beasts came out of. Is this the book with the typo that we noticed, that Ed noticed? War beasts, as in beasts that are of war, as opposed to beasts that belong to a Geordie gentleman. <laughs> he, he should point out. Um, so it's not my beasts, though I would love to have my own dragon, mm-hmm. I have to say. So, so that's kind of the setup to the world. That's before we even get to like the, the, the line train itself. By the time we get to the nine train, a nine train hasn't happened, but um, one of the characters that we have, Tor, who's Nabora, Nabora has has seen better times. They don't have access to their sap. They discover that drinking blood would also make them live longer. That didn't go down well. Um, yeah, that caused its own problems and caused essentially their society to completely collapse and fall. Uh, the long story short, that was bad for them. This is all still backstory. Um, so this is backstory of the ninth of the ninth train. train, and and the bit of twins is a second book in that same series. Oh, okay, so it's a second one, right? So where we left off is um, the the this magical tree had reawoken, the queen had woken up, um, the stuff had gone down, essentially, and there were monsters starting to wake up. But they were still battered. It hadn't had the, that time to heal or regenerate. But neither had a born society. So it was almost like a pick-up of the next war. Now, Nine Train in the first book is the name of Tor's sword. The Bitter Twins are the name of Alistair's axes. Friends' axes. Uh, so he's got two axes called the Bitter Twins. I suspect the next, the third, the final book will also be which could also be a description of something else in the because the ninth reign is the name of a storm it's also the name of it's the name of an event but it's also the name of a weapon and this is the name of you can describe stuff that happens in this book as the story about bitter twins but you can also describe it as the weapon as well so it's all very clever um the world the world's called sarn because obviously fantasy worlds have to have a name that isn't it um so <laughs> the world of Sarn, they're just starting to, kind of the heroes have just started to get used to the fact that they've got these war beasts. Uh, and the war beasts also have personalities. Aww. So the, the, the winged wolf doesn't like the griffin because they fight like cats and dogs. Um, <laughs> the, the dragon is the only one that's got its ancestral memories. Okay. So it's the only one that remembers way back like what it's supposed to be doing so it's the Bostock he's, he, 
he's called, she's called, he's called. Um, and he's kind of the de facto leader of the War Beasts. But obviously, the rest of the War Beasts are like, what are you doing? No, I'm, I'm in charge. Kind of, so they bicker a lot. Right. Um, we, we get introduced to another one, and it, it's a war cat, it's winged, it can fly. Uh, it's called Hellcat and has some of the best dialogue in the book and I'm not going to give it away further than that but some of my favourite dialogue is from Hellcat or yes. Hellkit um, but yes so what this it's kind of an odd second novel okay. and it's kind of an, like it's odd because whereas in whereas we get an awful lot of set, set up in the ninth reign we get an awful lot of kind of it's time to establish for the characters it's time for establishing all the various bits and pieces um, we don't get a lot of building, we get world building but we don't get a lot of every, anything else in the second book so you really do have to have read the first one to go anywhere near the second one you, you could read the second one but you wouldn't care about the characters Okay. That's, that's the problem, is that all the character building has been done in the first book we, we, there's a character called Noon um, who is a witch in this world if you're a witch you get immediately grabbed to an organisation called a winnery who then lock you up yes I remember having a conversation about the winnery yeah and then they then use you as a resource almost like it's a massive metaphor for the patriarchy mm. uh, any women with any power immediately locked up and are manipulated by a larger more powerful organisation that society accepts it. that's how it is it's almost like there's staunch feminist themes in this novel which of course they are but that's you know if you're the sort of person that doesn't want to bother with that sort of thing it's fine you won't notice them if you know <laughs> it, because, because if you don't know you know if you, yeah. if you don't recognise that sort of thing it'll it'll pass you by if you read this sort of book and go oh I'm offended you might need to read some more stuff scrolling back um, one of the characters that we meet that I really adore is called Vintage is an aristocratic explorer yay <laughs> um, that's like got trapped involved she's roughly in her 40s so she's not a okay. Laura Croft nope. she's not a Laura Croft she, she complains about having to run too much okay. uh, she's, she's getting on in years and she's very intelligent and she's very well read and she's the first person when they go here's a dangerous thing she's like oh when did what period in history did that come from? Oh, not that sharp. <laughs> no, no, not, not that sharp. <laughs> ah, ah, the off switch, by the way, is over there. So and maybe, maybe, rather than going, yeah, she's like, oh, that's fascinating. Also deaf, let's run, uh, as a character. Um, but we get a lot of build-up to her. Part of the story from the last book is her trying to rescue her lover. She has an aboring lover who has gone missing. Now, Bormans live a very long time. So when he when she finally finds her girlfriend and rescues her, we're kind of expecting more in okay. the second book. We're expecting to like you know find more about their relationship, find more about what's going on. What we get instead is this character's like twenty years. I've lost twenty years of my life, and uh, and everything has changed. And that character, the the payoff is more plot and more angst and that's fine but I wanted more fun okay I wanted I wanted to know more about their adventures I wanted but to you know you don't think you'll get that in the next one no I don't oh, think I am that's a shame. I think I might learn more about that character as well mm. but Abhorans are seriously for, for all of their kind of pale moodiness dark hair black leather and cool weapons they are they are basically goths so they're all really moby and a lot of the problems that happen in the first and second books of this series seem to be Aborans being privileged, entitled idiots who right. expect and try and slam the world into a certain place. And the ones that are still around are, are more so, if you see what I mean, because okay. of a dying race. So as a, as a theme, the, they, they remind me a lot of the, the Malnibians from the from the Metal Murkoff books in the sense, and I suppose they're supposed to be like that because they're pale skinned and, and weird and cultured um, much like Jen Williams' previous trilogy we get a, like a big lump of uh, exposition and plot okay. so in the Copycat books uh, halfway through the series 
Something turns up and goes, Hi, I'm Captain Exposition, and explains to you a whole lot of the magic. And it's fine, because it's fascinating. In this, we get a kind of murder mystery slash, slash Basil Exposition adventure. Uh, also an explanation as to why you shouldn't go like sailing into certain areas. Why certain things aren't easy, because the, 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 the swarm monsters are everywhere. So, the, there's all of that kicking off. And we learn more about the world, but I didn't feel like it added more, if you see what I mean. Okay. Oh, what... I really like this middle book, but it suffers from being a middle book. I was about to say, it kind of sounds like it, it feels quite, quite transitional. It's oh. getting you from that bit to that bit. It's the bits that need to happen to get you from the beginning to the end. Also, the events don't take very long. Okay. We've got it feels like and I could be completely wrong but it feels like only a couple of weeks pass like literally the first book finishes this book starts there's been some fights there's been some skirmishes stuff's starting to wake up they figure out what they need to do as a team there is some exposition and then it ends and it's like that's not a war that's a that's a couple of Tuesdays that's you know it, it doesn't feel it's, it, it's not epic yeah, there's no for, for for a story that has hundreds of years of backstory. This seems very rushed in terms of pacing, okay. and when compared to the other one, which is kind of sweeping in in the terms of, of story, this just feels very short. And it just felt short changed is the wrong word because I'm going to buy the next one. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of interesting because what you're, what you're saying is positive. In it, it's like, I you liked you liked it. It's like, but you liked it even though it was quick and that idea of like I wanting more. It's like none of this is a bad thing, but it's obviously just difficult reading sometimes when you're like I've liked this, but I wanted more. I wanted it to be bigger and I wanted more of it. And so like I said you kind of come out of it being like, this was enjoyable. But I'm, I'm not quite satisfied. It felt like yes, it felt like a middle thing. Is there's enough in there to make an entire season of a TV series? Mm. But but that's because TV is not as good as books. Because um, because it's just not. But on the other hand, it just it just felt too short, and it's four hundred pages, so it's not too short at all. Mm. No. You know, it's it, it's book sized. But it just felt like there was an awful lot of ha things happened in a very short sp space of time. There were a couple of beats that I was like, that character's going to get it on with that character. Yeah. Mm -mm. And, and I could predict, because I read the, previ the previous trilogy, I was like, I, I know how this is going to work out, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And there's, there's various beats and there's various notes. Um, we meet the flying bats again, and the flying bats are awesome. Giant, giant riding bats. Okay. Because you want giant riding bats. Because of course you do. Mm. Yeah. I love bats. I mean, all all bats are flying bats. But well, riding no, bats. actually, that's a lie. <laughs> what are the bats riding? No, you can ride on them. They're bats mm. for riding. Only though. Though you could get a small bat and get it on the back of a riding bat, mm. and that'd be like a riding bat riding a bat. Yeah, it's exception. <laughs> that's the bit of twins. I really like the series. Should you read Jim Williams? Yes. Should you, if you enjoy weird fantasy that is epic and proper fantasy, there's some really nice ideas in it. Yes. If you like a diverse cast, yes. Um, and it's no real thing as well. It's just you know there's there's something there for everyone, which is nice. Um, if you like really good combat sequences, yes. And if you like mythical creatures, brilliant. Uh, all of that is there, but I just found I just found myself just going. It sounds like as a payoff from the first book, you you're not getting everything you wanted from it. Do you know what it is? If I had the entire trilogy, I'd have read them all by now. If I had the entire trilogy on my shelf, I'd have read the trilogy and I'd been like, "Yay!" And you know, if I was going on holiday, I probably because the third book isn't out yet. But mm. I'm guessing the third book's probably going to do it unless it's unless it makes a massive misstep. It's going to be great, but I'm, I'm psyched for it. Mm. 
but it does feel like that second reboot. And the thing with the, the previous series, which I keep going back to the Copper Cat, is the Copper Cat had so much pee off in the middle mm. that I was like, I was. I mean, it was a, a departure and it was a slightly different story, but it had so much pay off in the middle. And we got to know the characters so well that by the time we got to the third book and it started wrapping itself up, I was like, no, I'm satisfied. I've had mm. all of this. Whereas this just didn't quite feel that the reveals weren't. It, it didn't have the same impact. And yeah. either I'm getting too used to the author, which is no, not a bad sign. No, it's not a bad thing at all. Or, or it just. Because it's saving itself up for the, for the denouement for the final book, at which point it's like oh, I need it now. Then, to to you've staring at one of the books in the pile with a slight look of distaste. What? Oh, sorry, I got distracted because I looked at the back of a book and the the quote at the top is lush, sexy, and gorgeous. That's the um, sequel to a book that you didn't like the first one. Oh really? Yeah. Ah, cool. Are we are we impromptu judging a oh, work? Sorry, we're we impromptu. Is it Shadow Shadow Song? Sa- Shadow. This is Shadow Song. Yeah, Which sorry. Is, the first one was um, Winter Song. Winter Song. I don't think I've read it. Have I? Yes, you have. It's the one with the uh, she runs away with the fairy dude. I don't know. She runs away with fairy dude to play because she plays the violin really well. What? Uh, and she plays a musical instrument really well. And then she gets ca- kidnapped and kept by this strange fae dude. Was that definitely me? I might have gone completely mad. Unless I judged it once. You might have judged it once, but were, uh, I thought, I read it and didn't like it terribly. Because um, it was a bit Fifty Shades of Fairy. Fifty Shades of Fae, in fact, is how, it, is how I felt about it in the first place. Anyway, moving back to yeah, the next one. No, we, I'm, to... I'm very sorry. It was, you know when just something catches your eye in massive letters and you're like, ugh. Are we going to have to stop recording these things in the middle of book spaces so that people don't, we don't get distracted by books while we're it's recording? Kind of well, point. one day we'll escape the library and that'll be possible, but at the moment we're stuck here, aren't we? So. In case you're wondering where we get our meal from, we have owls. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Um, but yes, uh, Bitter Twins uh, is out. By the time you listen to this, it'll be out either now or soonish. Um, and if you like the first one, read it. If you've not read the first one, read The Nine Train. It's got weird alieny things and crazy queens and horrible monsters in it, and it's great fun. Uh, it also has really cute monsters. Shall we move on to another book? Another book! I, I'm going to go for a slight weird depart- departure and go for some excellent radio here. And go for a thing called the Augmented Reality Survival ma- Manual, Alien. And it's got a picture of an alien from Alien looking like, you know... Mouthy. A mouthy. Teethy. Drooly. An angry phallic symbol with fans. Um, that's basically what it is. And what we have in here is lots and lots and lots of really, really pretty pictures. Um... From which we will show you with our mind waves from Covenant and from um, Prometheus, Prometheus, uh, and yeah, mostly Covenant and Prometheus. I was going to pass this round, but it also does this really, really silly thing, and it's hard for us to explain easily on the radio, but we're going to try. Um, so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass my phone which has an app on it because this is a book that requires an app and in the middle pages in the middle pages you can scan it with your app so we've got a see this this, this is the joy of technology when you have yep. to take photos of things and it doesn't work it's not or... a, it's not a picture it's supposed to be i assume it's supposed to be recognizing the there we go it's yep. doing a scan it is now egg. scanning an egg because we have we have a picture of an egg because it's a xenomorph egg simulation, and we are scanning it, and the phone knows knows it, and it's that's an egg. Uh, no, no, and give that to Ross. Ross can now. And if I hold the phone a lot more, I have a picture of an oh, egg. Oh, it's a three D egg jumping out of the book. Yeah. Cool. Um, but if I was a child, I'd think that was great. But if I was a child, I wouldn't have seen any of the Alien films. 
Because it, yes. I don't think I watched them until... I used to watch a lot of films I shouldn't have watched when I was little, and I didn't watch Alien until I was about 12. By which point, as I'd... bad as this sounds, I'm not impressed by a phone showing me mm. a picture of an egg bursting out of a book. So, so now it does a thing where, if I look at it, it'll, it'll, it'll open the egg for me, and then the, the horrible face-hooker thing will fly out, and, <laughs> and, and there we go, it's open, yeah, it's, it's not it's, opening... It's... It's, it's, it's trying to. I don't know. Cause yeah, anyway. it's possible I'm moving the book. Th- it's a really fun and exciting idea that doesn't match the audience of the the um, franchise, which I'm confused by. To be honest, I think well, that's a great idea. Why pitch it to Alien? The, there's one of these which has a has the the dropship, and you can control the dot. It like gives you a, like like a Pokemon Go style augmented reality. You can fly the dropship around the house until it explodes. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's just—I mean, it's oh, we have we have. So, so that's, in, that's, in that's, that's do I need to hold the page like this constantly so, in order for it to keep you? Because if I if you move the phone to the side, it doesn't necessarily keep the book in shot. No, I think you can move it outside the. And you've got this, like you've got this weird alien autopsy. It's asking me to, it's asking me to poke it. I don't want to poke it. It's a, it's a face hugger. Yeah. Like I've seen those movies. I don't want to poke it at all. It'll eat me. Oh look, it's what's it, what's it asking me to do? Take a closer, closer look at the sides. No, let's not take a closer look at the sides. Is it gonna eat me? Oh look, look, look! I've got oh, my face in this. Oh look, there we go. I can remember having books of things I had irrational fears of, and I wouldn't even touch the illustration on it I would talk, I would very very carefully you know, turn the page of the book such that I didn't touch the illustration of it at all with a thing even you know the rear side of the paper where I couldn't see it uh, I, I can remember doing that but I'm getting to prod it a lot which is you know yeah. this, this is ridiculous it's like um, Disneyland have these certain patches don't they where when you're there if you get your phone out and mm. take a photo you'll be taking you'll have your photo taken like with a character that mm. isn't actually there, but the phone recognises that space and puts them in. Um, it's a similar sort of idea. So, I'm, I'm assuming that at some point I will... Oh, it lets me cut it open. There we go. <laughs> You're not going to buy this for yourself. You might buy it for a friend who is a big fan of Alien. But I feel I... like they'd have to be a big fan of Alien and technology and books. It needs to be all of those three things. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay, augmented reality stuff is taking off. It's because it's becoming, say, part of you know the phone software at the minute. So that it's it's having a sort of proper renaissance at the it moment. It is, but I don't but know if it's blending with other hobbies such as reading. Possibly not. I mean, again, I think you're right that Alien is possibly not the best example for this. I mean, because well. There's three of us, and we're no, uh, two of us are nervous to touch the screen of the app to <laughs> control the thing. Now. And I don't care. Mm. Well, I, I don't care that much because I mean, you saw the first one of these films when you were twelve. I think I saw it when I was in my thirties. I ha- it's it's what this is the, the the film series which is one of those where I say I haven't seen it, and people go really, as in I should have done by now, mm. like two decades ago by now. Um, I mean, my I think to be honest, if. And it's the, I haven't seen Covenant yet. Um, I will. I just haven't yet. Um, but as soon as I said it was mainly like Covenant and Prometheus, I literally do not care about Prometheus. Not being able to run left is not a valid method of death. I'm a big fan of the first movie Alien because yeah. I like haunted houses, and it's a haunted house in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, slasher, a stock, uh, a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. I like Aliens, even yeah. though because I like action movies. With spaceships and aliens in them, mm-hmm. because you know, fairly straightforward. Alien Three should have been something that it wasn't. I barely remember Alien Three. It I was, don't think I watched it again after I watched it the first time. It was supposed to be Name of the Rose in space. It wasn't. It was a massive mess. Uh, the fourth one was Delicatessen in space, which didn't work, uh, and so on. And the, the the subsequent movies have just been a mess. Um, that is a very pretty movie tie-in book. It's it a nice. Is. It's a nice. The art of this kind of book. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's a lot more see. arty. But there are also. I mean, there are survival books out there for things like you know survival of you know zombie plague, survival of Dalek attack, sort of thing. And 
it strikes me that so again, yeah, Alien. Obviously, this is tying into some movies, so it's going to appeal to people who like Alien, and it's got a lot of lovely art in it. But I think there are possibly other books which might have benefited more from this sort of thing. I think the the augmented reality thing is a gimmick. Yeah, but I think you know again, a, a okay for me, my, my purpose is a Dalek survival guide would matter work better with it, just and also it would appeal to six year olds in this country. But the thing with those is that those the he said pointing at the book which is great video. The essentially there's some pages in the middle which are a different color, and you scan your phone over them, hmm. and it opens a mini game yeah. on your phone, and that's that that's all they are. They're not. It's like it's like it pops out and you can so look at it. Is it a game? So or just like a way of interacting with the page. Uh, a bit of both. So okay. the first one you can just look at the egg. The second one you can remote control uh, the dropship. Huh. The third one, you can dissect the face of it, yeah. and so on. So there's different things you can do with, with the app. But yeah, I was going to sorry, the, sorry, come on. It's a mini game. There mm. are a bunch of mini games that you can play, which you won't. And the other problem, of course, is is that in five, six, ten years' time, the app might still not be on store. It mm. might not be there. At which point, you've just got some very nice brown pages. Yeah. I was just thinking of other books out there because I know there are for Doctor Who. There's you know there's a TARDIS manual you can buy, which is essentially you know this is pictures of the TARDIS, and I'm sure there's you know keep your solid screwdriver with you. But you could have an augmented reality TARDIS console, and you could push buttons, and you could possibly have all of the TARDIS consoles, and you you could do with that with a lot of. So I can see this, the basic principle being applied to a lot of other uh, tie-in books of this type. I'm just not sure whether that the alien one specifically would appeal to me. Yeah, I kind of I feel like this has been made to be looked through once and then sit on a shelf, and that's it's shame. it's a coffee table book, but it's got three with a with a with an augmented reality aspect know, to it. It's a coffee table book. Part well, well, there's a lot of I art in it. it I mean, but... Difficult when um, there are too many black pages because I get really no. I know it's just me, um, but I I don't. I get nervous around black pages because they're too easy to leave fingerprints on and I find it really upsetting and there's a lot of black pages on here but they're not really that sort of material so I think it would it would be fine. Also um, you tend to get black pages when it's photos. I feel like I feel like this hasn't decided what it is or what it's for and it falls short of therefore each of them. See, weirdly, and it's like, okay, so the Bitter Twins, which we were talking about earlier, if it got in the middle of the Bitter Twins and it was like, here's a phone app, you can see this dragon, mm. how would I respond? And I'd be like, no. Probably my, response, my base response would be no. But on the other hand, I'd be like, that's really cool because here's some pretty pictures that you've added to add value. But it's, on the other hand, I don't think I'd want it. It's very cool, but at the same time, if you're in the middle of a story, you don't want to be brought out of that and reminded that you are a person sat in a room reading a book. You don't want things that take you back out of that world and break your suspension of disbelief. Um, but if it was, say, at the end, and it was like... it was If it was almost an addition to be like, have a look at how the author views... the how the author sees the things that you see... Because mm. it is quite interesting, because like, I think ultimately that's the reason why a lot of books to TV don't work, is because books, we're all reading the same words, but we are all seeing what those words mean in a very different way, and the pictures we create are different, whereas a book, or a film, obviously you don't have that, you are seeing what someone is telling you their interpretation is. Yeah. Um, and so I think it would be interesting to have it more as a... Like for that sort of thing, yeah. If it was at the end, like additional, almost like notes from the author kind of a thing. A DVD extra thing. Yeah, but in book form, and that's cool. With books, I mean, they, I don't know the te- the technical reasons, but they tend to put uh, you know an insert in the middle of the book for certain illustrations. They don't tend to group them at the end. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, like, to be fair, it was, it's been a very long time since I've had a book that has thrown any illustrations in that weren't. Mm. within text well no I'm thinking of I mean I like that's, they did used to do that a long time ago but I think well not a long time ago but I think that's because it needed different paper mm. well so I like the idea of you know you, you open them but you've got a picture of the dragon or the hellcat and you can you know okay and now I know what those things are supposed to look like because otherwise I've but that's also what illustrations are for 
Well, yes, but um, my point is, you could have. I mean, this book's got illustrations and it's got the augmented reality thing. You've got another way of accessing it. So, I think that would be a nice. Ad- it, you know, presumably it'd be expensive for the you know the publishers to keep putting these things in. But I mean, the Space Marine Battles books uh, are from one of forty thousand have an insert in the middle, which is color illustrations. So some of them are these are here's a map of this fortress. So you've got an idea of what the thing is that they're defending in this novel, and you could have. Here's an augmented reality. Look, here's what the fortress looks like in 3D. And I, you, I don't I, know whether you... Actually, the, with that sort of thing, I can remember reading The Fall of Damnos and getting halfway through The Fall of Damnos and then, which is a Warhammer 40k book, where, spoilers, Damnos falls. Um, and it's a, it's a planet where robot zombies take over this world, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's a fortified... It's a fortified world, as in there's forts everywhere. And I got... All the way through, and then there's this thing that explains to me the history of Damnos, and it came right in the middle of an action scene. Yeah, and I just skipped straight past it, mm. got to the end of the chapter, and then went back because I didn't want to read it at the start because I didn't want any spoilers. But I did want to read that bit, and what it did was give me some really pretty pictures, and it gave me a really good idea of what the fortifications were like, which was great, except for the fact that I'd already gotten to that point, mm. so I already had an image in my mind of what they looked like. I remember looking at the pictures going, yep. And it was like, yo. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, in a sense, that's like you wanted to, okay, that confirms that, that I am imagining the right thing. There's, there's validation there. On the other hand, it's a bit late. <laughs> and, if you, and if it wasn't what you had in your mind, it's because, oh, that's, that's yeah, mm. taking you out of it. So, yeah, that, that, that's a question of where in the book you put the inserts. Um, what would have been, uh, I mean, using another Warhammer example, um, there's a Sarah Cockwell novel where they put a space marine inside a spaceship. Like, they, they, they entomb him. Right. And I I still can't imagine what that looks like. Mm. Because they, they describe it like they put them into a sarcophagus. And they, they rather than having a, like a, a ship's computer, they take a dude and they, they, they entomb um. them so they're the ship's computer. Mm. A bit like Farscape. Yeah, a bit like Farscape. And it's because in that setting they have combat robots where they take uh, veteran soldiers and they put them inside the, the, the combat robot. Like Pacific Rim? Like Pacific Rim. Um, but literally they, they live in there. They're not... They're not they're, yeah. Their life support system is inside there. They are. They are yeah, it's a, it's a method of basically keeping the experience of wounded, critically wounded soldiers, as in they can't... It's because they don't trust computers. That's what Well, yeah. Like well, there's that... Games. Yeah, but it's that... Well, no, no, <laughs> it's that as well. But it's it's these are soldiers who've you know who've had you know limbs ripped off, but nevertheless can still know how to fight. So they plug them into these things, and now you live in one of those for the next but, few but thousand years. But the description years. is very, very much they put them in the sarcophagus and like mm. they're talking. But my mind is like that sounds really horrible, mm. and like it sounds like there's really and I kind of want to I want to I want a painting of that because like because that'd be really horrible. That'd be really cool to see. Kind of. I'm trying to work out whether this is the sort of extra that you'd prefer on an like a sort of an addition to an ebook where you can have sort of added extras to it, and you'd say, okay, well, I've got my my mobile device with this thing. Now show me here's an augmented reality version of the scene of a scene I've just seen as an added extra, rather than what you rather than in a paper. Either way, it's 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 a. I like the idea that publishers would start including some material like this in subsequent books where it becomes appropriate. I'm not necessarily sure it's worked on this occasion, but yeah. but obviously that's a selling point yeah. of this particular book. But it might be something we'd see a lot more of. So there's, there's books that I have written, or I have written for, uh, various time-out guides from the early noughties, for example, which are full of links, because my job was to go onto the in- that fancy new thing called the internet mm. and write about the internet in this area and the, the local internet trends. Mm. And obviously these are travel guides, so it's all dated anyway, and they only last a year and all the rest of it. But I've got a copy of one somewhere, and all of the links, every single one of those links, doesn't exist anymore. Mm. None of it, none mm. of it is there. You could probably, if you hunted around for on an internet way back machine archive thing, you might be able to find it. But honest, yeah. honestly, why? There's nothing. There's no. That's that's why the Space Jam website is so famous because the Space Jam website. I think Space Jam the film came out in 1996. It's pretty much the only website that has literally never changed. 
it is the same website that was in 1996. All cool. others are either changed or they're gone. Mm. And it's like, because what we don't, the internet doesn't work like that anymore. We don't want those sorts of websites. Like you go on there just to be like, oh my God, yeah, I'd forgotten this. And the nostalgia is wonderful, but it's a terrible website. <laughs> what? Yeah. What, why are you going to the Space Jam website in the first place? I'm sort of confused. No, just because it's every now and then it will come up on a list of like interesting little weird factoids or things about the internet. Like it, it comes up on just random lists regularly. Yeah. What is the Matrix? It's such an odd occurrence. What is the Matrix.com is no longer there, sort of thing. You know, it could be, and that was the big part of its marketing at the time. Here's the internet, and this is you know, what is the Matrix? People. Seen, seen the movie and know what it is. But Penn Island is still around, if memory serves. <laughs> yeah. Which is a subeditor's favourite. Yes. It's and Therapist Finder. Yeah. And all the others. No, Penn Island sells pens. Yeah. Okay. It, it genuinely sells pens. Yeah. Mm. It, it's for pens. Yeah. They're called Penn Island. That's their name. Mm. They just did, did they name it that before the internet? Yes, they were okay. called Penn Island. Okay. So they registered Penn Island. Yes. And didn't put a hyphen in anything. Yeah. So so it's Penn Island, and I think subsequently they've stopped selling pens, and it's just still on the internet because of the gag. But you know, there it is. Don't make us paint the picture, please. Don't make. I was going to say, I'm not sure "gag" was the right word just then. Don't uh, and don't send your pictures in. Um, (laughs) So um, we've been saying, do not contact us on a few shows recently. (laughs) (laughs) Contact us about other things. Don't do this. Please don't send this. Um, we are available for content. You just don't. <laughs> no, no, you can. No, you can. You can. You can. You can. If you want to talk to the show, uh, email me on ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. Again, if you're listening to this show in 20 years' time, it probably doesn't exist. Um, oh, God. We dated ourselves. No, not me. Um, no, you, oh, my hmm. email address might be different. But uh, it might not be. I might still be writing for Starburst Magazine in 20 years' time. Oh, there's an interesting thought. Anyway, <laughs> so, but but again, the you know there isn't an augmented reality app for the show, or is there? There's not. It's fine. No, um, <laughs> not at the time of recording. <laughs> not at the time of recording. Oh, oh how, no! How would that work? No. You too can have the three of us this sat around a... you while you listen to the show. Yeah, this isn't things people need to see. <laughs> like we're surrounded by mugs of finished tea, and there's books everywhere and cables that I've fallen over and cushions but it's... we can stop saying this is terrible radio <laughs> I, mean, I mean true but there's a, there's a reason why it's radio <laughs> <laughs> so so yes um, you can also contact us at Radio Bookworm on Twitter you can find us on Instagram at brave underscore new underscore words uh, and you can nominate us for all sorts of useless things not that well made so <laughs> um, I think it's time to talk to a lovely author. A lovely author? Jamie Thompson, welcome to Brave New Words. Ah, greetings, Ed. And what can you tell us about your latest project for Unbound? Well, um, many years ago, many, many years ago, my first kind of proper career job was working on a magazine called White Dwarf. And that was for Games Workshop for Ian Livingston, Steve Jackson back in 1982 or something. And um, he was kind of like my dark master, my sort of mentor. And through him, I, I got into game books and all that kind of thing. But the history of Ian and Steve's, um, I guess you might call it a business narrative, a business story, is quite a fun one. So at the moment, there's this big resurgence going on, a kind of retro interest in all the old Games Workshop stuff and how it came about and how game books came about if you remember those fighting fantasy and all that kind of thing I am and just old enough <laughs> just old enough yeah <laughs> it's a little bit depressing these days I meet people and they say god I loved your game books when I was a kid 50 <laughs> years ago <laughs> well 40 years ago anyway certainly well, a long time ago so the Unbound project is about funding um, Ian and Steve's story of Games Workshop um, but it's a bit different from your usual kind of um, business autobiography thing because they brought Dungeons and Dragons to the UK really and people think that when you look at Games Workshop now it's just Warhammer stuff in those days 
they were selling wooden go sets and um, chess sets in their games workshop and then they started to add the strange and unusual science fiction and fantasy games we all know and love and I think they imported six copies of Dungeons and Dragons from the first ones to get a license of TSR in those days who they thought were a huge amazing company in America and Ian and Steve were ringing up from their bedroom as it were and Gary Gygox was making his Dungeons and Dragons games in a bedroom in America uh, and they and Ian and Steve started the first games workshop and they were living out the back of a van because they couldn't afford the rent of a place to live they could only afford to run their shop and that's the beginning of the extraordinary story and because I left Games Workshop in 85 or whatever it was I've got personal experience but I've gone off and become a writer I've done about 30 of my own books so Ian and Steve asked me to come along and write the story so that's what the Unbound thing is about the Games Workshop early years it sort of ends in a um, I can't remember exactly when it's when Ian and Steve sold the company so it's those early year days how the whole well, I suppose the whole hobby was created in the UK and Europe and America. The whole games industry. What's the challenge there? Because there's a lot of mythologizing around something like that. Because obviously there's a lot of fans, and fans are creative yeah. and tell stories. So how do you how do you make it ring true? Well, well, there's the business narrative, and that's a happens, and then b, and then they buy this, and then. They, but I'll also be adding or try. I'm going to have to do a lot of research, but because I, I'm still in contact with a lot of people from those days, um, we'll also have alongside that thread the personal anecdotes and experiences of, like the Games Workshop employee in those days, we were all crazy fans. We were all Dungeons and Dragons and role players and board gamers and um, tabletop war gamers and all that kind of thing. So it was a great place to live and work because it kind of became a family in a way. So there's lots of those anecdotes and there's lots of the unusual business stories, people living out in the back of vans, a few copies of the old White Dwarf, White Dwarf One and all that kind of thing. So the Unbound is to raise enough money to, it's gonna take some time to do because I'm gonna have to do a lot of research and then talking to a lot of people and there's also the legal side of it so we can't just put down anything you know, we have to check it all and make sure it's all true. But it'll be a fun read, I think. So with Ian Livingston with Idos. Yes, that's right. So I went off and did a whole bunch of game books, fighting fantasy ones, my own, where the tiger books, and all that kind of thing. And then Ian went off and went to Idos and became chairman there. And that was also another game books kind of died off because of computer games uh, but early computer games were I know, Donkey Kongs of the world and that kind of thing but in the 90s, the early 90s they started to change, there was more room for narrative and story and stuff so I got, you know, went back into computer games with and working for him writing kind of thing and I've done a lot of writing in games, computer games since and design I, I, I I, I kind of have to ask about uh, not only Fabled Lands, which is it's sort of unique in its uh, approach, but um, mm. also didn't you do a, a like? Didn't you constantly do different things and try and mix up the whole format of, of, of game books? Of game yes, books? absolutely, yeah, and computer games. Mm. Um, Fabled Lands was kind of the ultimate evolution of. We tried to create what people think of now as an open world structure. So you get a lot of computer games nowadays that allow you to roam freely and do what you like. And that's what we wanted to do in game books. So we came up with a kind of computer game structure, as it were, but without computers. Um, I've tried two player game books, done strong single player, solo game books, strong story. Yeah, it's always. When you've done about 30 or 40 game books, you always want to try something new. And I worked a lot with Dave Morris on Fabled Land, so we're thinking about a new kind of game book structure to you know, interactive fiction kind of thing for the future, maybe. 
you can get it off the ground. As I was saying earlier, there's a sort of retro um, choose your own adventure style resurgence going on. We, we live in an age now where everyone has a, a very powerful computer in the palm of their hands. Yeah. Um, you can you can pretty much summon any games and you can play a lot of the fighting fantasy games on your yeah. phone. And yet, you've, you, it, there's a massive rise in the analogue, in board games, in rolling dice. We've kind of returned yeah. to paper and pen. Why? Know, it's strange, isn't it? Do you have any idea why this is happening? Yeah, I thought you'd answer ask that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. I, so, I, I don't know. Is there more leisure time? There's a lot of competition for people's time. I suppose there is, there's quite a lot of dead time. People have to commute a lot. And playing a handheld game on the... on the, I don't know, are people reading them on their uh, mobiles? But it is interesting, yeah. They're, they're, um, they're even... Like we've done a few Kickstarters for Fableland Seven to relaunch the series, and people just want the hardback and the paper and pencil version, the paper version, the book version. Um, they don't really want the because um, you could do it very nicely. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Sorcery on them, on the iPad and all that kind of thing. It is uh, Steve Jackson Sorcery books, and they look absolutely beautiful. But people seem to want to have the old. Part of it is people like you who remember them, and they've grown up, and now they have jobs and money. But the, there's also a new, a new lot, a, new, a younger generation coming along, and I don't really know why. Al, the, the the producer of the show, was in uh, Melbourne about last year and went into Tin Man Games. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. they make the fighting fantasy book. They um and one of the things they say is that you can just pass like a phone to to anyone, and they will immediately start playing fighting fantasy. Yeah, yeah, it's strange. And then there's another company that does, I think they're called Choice of, I can't remember what they're called, but they just do uh, electronically ebooks and on on the mobile just straight text game books. They don't even add uh, a sort of the program to handle all the computer stuff, uh, you know, the um, inventory stuff and all that. And um, they seem to be this. It's one of those interesting things about you can have a mass market product like your Far Cries and and they sell millions, uh, but there's still enough to sell ten or twenty thousand of a, a mobile phone if you could make it cheap enough to make money. Um, and we can still do these Kickstarters where we can raise quite quite a bit of money and do game books. Um, and this wouldn't have had a chance of working ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. But for some reason, there is a kind of retro resurgence that seems to be growing. So, so moving a little bit further on from from there with the stuff that you've done, um, you won the Rodol Funny Prize for Dark yeah, Lord. The, the Dark Lord. <laughs> so, where did Rainbow he come from? Well, that actually was. Um, I fell to your earth many years ago as the evil Dark Lord. And have been trying to earn enough money to get home. Well, perhaps that's only in my own head. But uh, it's an interesting point, that because for so many years I spent writing game books, creating big bad guys and villains, because the premise of the Dark Lord books, which are mostly for kids, 12, 13, nine-year-olds, is that uh, an archetypal Dark Lord is defeated by the White Wizard, as it were, and cast into the outer darkness and well, in the short, short one-sentence elevator pitch, he's basically exiled to modern-day Earth and cursed into the body of a 13-year-old child. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that once you had that concept, so the police find and say, what's your name? Name? I am the Dark Lord. And they think he's called Dirk Lloyd because he's got a squeaky boy's voice. Dark and not Dirk, and they make him go to school. So you can imagine the fun that you can have with that. <laughs> uh, um, it, automatically, you can think of all of the possible situations. Uh, but over the years I've created so many bad guys supervillains myself and played so many computer games and board games and role playing games you also got to think that most of the, the bad guys in those days aren't really explored much they're very thinly drawn even Voldemort is quite thinly drawn and for instance Darth Vader we never find out his backstory how does he become Darth Vader until years later you know like 20 years Back in the day, nobody really bothered. He was just a two-dimensional big villain 
to be knocked down. So I've often thought about more about why the big bad guy does why the big well, why do they want to kill the hobbits and eat the world, as it were, or eat the hobbits and kill the world? Um, and that gave me the idea of telling it from the point of view of the bad guy. But if you do that, and it's a kid's book, it, if it was serious, it'd be like, you know, the main guy would be like Hitler and no one would like it. Genghis Khan at his worst wouldn't be much fun. So it had to be comedy and, and kind of redemptive. But that the whole voice, well, I remember one of the publishers early on saying, we really like the voice of the Dark Lord. And that voice was 25, 30 years of working in this industry, creating super bad guys. And um, that just came out naturally. So it was a sort of natural progression. Did you ever see Galaxy Quest? I did indeed with the bad guys. Yeah, so I was trying to, like Galaxy Quest is a hilarious piss take of Star Trek. It's also a fantastic episode of Star Trek. So I wanted to do that sort of thing so it's kind of like I don't want to say mockery it's it's a fun fantasy in itself but it is but it's it's not really taking the piss so much as if you got to write someone else's franchise if you got to play in someone else's sand pit what would you yeah. pick well, I don't know what do you mean like would it be Star Wars or Star Trek kind of thing that sort of thing it probably would be Lord of the Rings I think and I'd have to be Sauron I do enjoy playing Shadows over Mordor and those sort of computer games. It probably would be sad, old Lord of the Rings. Although I did try and read them recently and they're quite heavy going. On that subject, if you got to rescue one one piece of art and it can be you know, it can be a painting, it can be a book, it can be a video game, it can be anything creative made by man. Um, and that will survive that will stand the test of time guaranteed to stand the test of time what would it be? of course it would be my own books <laughs> Dark Lord Teenage Years <laughs> obviously <laughs> or perhaps that's too difficult there's so much stuff why not one of my own books <clears throat> I should live forever <laughs> <laughs> I, just some silly questions just to finish off if you don't mind yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been making money out of being silly for years. Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, that's a difficult one. Hmm. Can't we have both? Dragons or spaceships? Oh, that's too hard as well. I suppose it would have to be dragons. I mean, yeah, dragons, and I guess it would have. Oh, I don't know. Futurama or Simpsons was so hard, that one. Space flying dragons. Interstellar dragons Skeletons Skeletal warriors Or zombies Mm. If I had to have my own minions I think I'd prefer skeleton warriors But if I was I think I'd rather be the walking dead Oh I don't know The army of the medieval dead That's just just so much fun Skeleton warriors The undead Lovely beer or lovely wine these questions are really tough. <laughs> um, I suppose I'll have to go for wine. It's more like the blood of the slain. Uh, and finally, truth or beauty? Well, once I would have said beauty, but at my age, I think I'll just stick to lies. Lies and falsehood. Perhaps, yes, my own version. No one wants the truth. Beauty is only skin deep. Jamie Thompson laid them alive anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Thompson, you've been an absolute Jamie Thompson, yes. you've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. <laughs> right, they were lovely. Were they lovely? They were. Uh, and again, if you want to appear on the show, please do so. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just, just turn just, up yeah, our, just <laughs> at the buck knock. <laughs> please. Of, that has kind of happened in the past. We have had the situation where we've been at a convention and they're going. Do you want to interview us? It's like, well, we're about to do a show in five minutes. Yes, come along. Yeah, yeah. We've done that. We've, yes, we've that's also had. That's fine. I mean, don't just turn up here. That would be terrifying. Yeah, we've. I mean, that, if, if it's an info or side, that's fine. If you're that's happened, the show, but... contact us. Yeah. And we can interview you. 
Or if you are local, they could potentially come and be on the show. We are based in Manchester, uh, and also we have access to a video, video studio at fabradiointernational.com. Hence the, the jingle at the start of the show. That's what that's all about, in case you just listen to us. Because we have a video show as well. We actually appear on Fab Radio. Uh, and now we're not talking about books, we're just babbling on about ourselves. So I think it's a point that we should leave. Yes. So it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Bye. Bye. Bye.